From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, gene therapy in clinical practice. You know, this is really a a great time for this field and, and a time of hope for patients. Not all eye conditions are clearly genetic, and even for those that are, not all are candidates for gene therapy. Traditional therapy for genetic conditions has been to treat the manifestations rather than the genetic error itself. As an ophthalmologist and a computer modeler, I know that the appropriate way to address a bug in the code is not to work around its consequences, but rather to fix the bug. Translating gene therapy into clinical practice has been necessarily slow. But now, at last, we're able to fix at least one bug in the code. I'm happy to welcome Mark Penisi to talk about the first FDA-approved gene therapy for a genetic disease, Labor's congenital amaurosis. What is Luxturna, and why is its approval significant? So Luxturna, or Veretigen Napartovec, um, is the first uh, FDA-approved gene replacement or gene augmentation therapy for an inherited retinal dystrophy, and specifically for uh, one called RP65-related uh, retinal dystrophy, uh, which causes a um, form of, of latent congenital amaurosis. And um, so the reason this is significant is prior to this, we had no treatment uh, for these diseases. And uh, this is really the first time that we have something that actually can improve visual function. How is gene therapy different from conventional medical interventions? And I don't mean in terms of mechanism of action, but rather, how does it fit into the, the, the paradigm of medical therapy? Sure. Um, well, you know, for inherited retinal diseases, we really don't have any treatment. So... Um, I would say this is sort of game-changing um, in that sense to, to actually start having treatments um, that are effective for these rare diseases. And, and really, this represents a, a new class of, of therapies because we are now, you know, have the ability to add back in um, a, a functional um, gene, which will code for a functional protein, and many of these diseases are, are caused by mutations that result in a loss of function of a particular gene. Mark, what is gene augmentation, and, and how does it differ from gene replacement therapy? Yeah, they're really, you know, I think the terms are, are used somewhat interchangeably. Um, you know, the, the term gene replacement was, was used originally, but the way the technology works, we're not actually physically replacing the, the native gene. Rather, what we're doing is, is adding genetic material using a, a viral vector, and that genetic material forms a little circular chromosome within the nucleus. So we're actually adding material. That's why the, the term gene augmentation is, is really a little more accurate. And that also distinguishes it from you know, other technologies that are coming along in the pipeline, such as gene editing, where you actually do um, alter the, the native DNA. Now, in 
ophthalmology generally, uh, I, th I think probably more than in other medical fields, we use a lot of therapeutics off-label. And of course, FDA labeling is important with any therapeutic agent we, we use, but why is labeling of special importance in the context of gene therapy? So, yeah, there are many times we do use products off-label, but in the case of things like gene therapy, these treatments um, are most likely going to be specific to a particular disease or a, a particular genetic mutation. And so we would not expect them to be useful um, in other uh, forms of genetic disease. And that really makes things like genetic testing and, and getting an accurate diagnosis very important because these are surgical procedures that have some risk. Um, furthermore, um, these are very expensive uh, treatments at this point in time. So we don't want to treat somebody if there's not the potential for benefit. In my practice, I, 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 once every couple weeks, someone comes in uh, having had a 23andMe test and, and all, with all sorts of genetic markers and asks me what the, what the, what the relevance is. So Gene therapy has, has, of course, drawn the public's attention to genetic abnormalities generally, and, and specifically to genetic testing. Is genetic testing a good thing? Um, I think in the right context, it, it is a good thing. Um, we don't necessarily want to be getting genetic testing on every single patient that, that comes into our practice because there is some noise in testing, and, and sometimes you can get false positive uh, results like any test. So you, you really want to pick the right patients to get genetic testing on, and those would be patients that have uh, what appears to be a, an inherited disease. And, and I think if you have any doubts, then it's useful to refer those patients to a, a specialist to um, you see these patients frequently or to consult with a, a genetic counselor, um, you know, especially in cases of, of patients who have family histories of, of genetic diseases. One of the points that you make in, in the papers is that, that genetic candidacy is not the same thing as actual clinical candidacy. Once genetic candidacy is established, how is determination made of whether the patient is an actual candidate for gene therapy? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's still somewhat of a, a learning curve here. The, the guidelines um, in the label are fairly broad for, for the uh, RP65 patients. And, and essentially, it says that you need to have someone who's at least a year old, somebody who has viable um, retinal cells and somebody who has evidence of, of two or biallelic mutations in RP65. So, but it doesn't necessarily answer the question of, um, you know, should we treat every patient? And are some patients too advanced and, and perhaps they may not benefit from the therapy? Or even some patients at a very young age, the, the surgical risk might be higher and you may want to, to wait. So those are, I think, questions that we're still answering as we start to treat patients in the real world. Now, there's an elephant in the, in the room here, 
uh, which is cost. What, what does a treatment of Luxturna cost? And is this cost generally covered by insurance? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the list price um, from the company is, is approximately $425,000 per eye. Um, you know, our experience thus far is that insurance companies have been covering it. Um, we've so far had a 100% uh, success rate with our patients getting um, this treatment covered, although it can be quite a bit of work uh, to get approval from, from the insurance companies. And, you know, if you can imagine that that makes sense. They want to make sure before they um, spend that money that um, all of the, the due diligence has been done. The number of patients treated with Luxturna is, is very small compared to the populations of other ophthalmic pathologies that we're used to dealing with. Will this model of genetic therapy, both from a therapeutic and from an economic standpoint, scale to more common conditions? I, I think it will. And, you know, I certainly think the prices will come down eventually. Um, I think anytime you have a nascent technology, the, the price is always high for the first um, thing that comes out. You know, if you think about cell phones, the, the first cell phones were incredibly expensive and, you know, really used by a very limited number of, of people. And today, pretty much everybody can afford a cell phone. So, you know, I think as these technologies become more mature, uh, the prices will come down and, and they'll become more accessible um, to other diseases, um, you know, both due to technical reasons, um, you know, as well as, you know, as we learn more, these trials will progress quicker. Even with, you know, the very first trials, there were a lot of unknowns. And, and I think that as we become more comfortable uh, with these therapies, um, that hopefully will lower the cost. You know, I mean, I think really it's a, it's a very exciting time for patients with rare inherited diseases because for decades we essentially told them that there was nothing uh, that we could do and, and they felt forgotten. And there are many uh, clinical trials going on for other gene therapies for diseases like X-linked retinitis pigmentosa, uh, achromatopsia, um, among a few, and there will be more. So, you know, this is really a, a great time for this field and, and a time of hope for patients. It's really cool stuff. I mean, it, 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 sounds, it sounds like science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for bringing this topic to us and, and for being so very generous with your time with us today. Sure. Happy to. Thanks a lot. Mark Panisi is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the Casey Eye Institute at the Argonne Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. His paper, The Evolution of Retinal Gene Therapy from Clinical Trials to Clinical Practice, appears in the February 2020 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Panisi or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.